So my name's Richard, like Jesse said. Uh, I am Pat's son-in-law. I married Abigail about two years ago, a little over two years ago. I'm a pastor at a small church called Core in Houston. I am mostly over the worship ministry there, and I also do a lot with our small group ministry. And on top of that, I get to preach about six times a year, something like that. So I'm really excited to get to do that with you guys. It's one of my favorite parts of ministry. On top of all that, I'm going to school at HBU. I'm studying theology and biblical languages. It's kind of a joke at my church that at some point during my sermons, I'm going to bring up a different language at some point. Probably won't do that today, maybe once. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how the Spirit leads. Um, and if you want to know more about me, please come find me. One of my favorite things in life is to talk about myself, but uh, Pat has given me a very strict 30 minutes today, and so I'm going to try to respect you, you guys' time, and we're going to get the show on the road, okay? Uh, before I get started, I want to ask one question. Um, has anybody in this room ever felt like they don't matter? Has anybody in this room ever felt like they're never going to have a purpose, like they're never going to have a role, like they don't fit in? Uh, is anybody brave enough to raise their hands if they felt that way? Yeah, I imagine. I mean, it's something that pretty much everybody feels at some point or another, be it in small doses or in large. And my story is that growing up, I had friend after friend after friend after friend tell me, not with explicit words, but with their actions, tell me that I don't matter. Uh, that, that I was less important than the other things in their life. I had friend after friend who I call, would have called my, my greatest confidant, who at some point or another burned me and said that something else is more important, who chose other things over me. And now while the, these might have just been friends in school, they might have just been friends in school, this I learned later on in life, carried into my psyche as I got older and as I grew up. And so whenever I went into my first jobs, whenever I went into college, as I became an adult, I realized that these friends who did something that they weren't even really thinking about really affected the way that I see myself. And so I looked at the world and thought that I did not have a purpose. I did not have a role and that I did not matter. I went about with a lot of shame and a lot of guilt because I didn't think that I was ever going to actually fit in. And today I want to share a story with you guys from scripture about a guy who shows us that God has very divine purposes for each and every one of you and that there is a God-given role that each and every per person in this room is going to fit into. And my story today is going to be from the book of Jeremiah. It's going to be from the book of Jeremiah. And before I get to our specific story, what I want to talk about, I should have put my little bookmark there. That probably would have made a, little, a lot of sense. But uh, before I get to my specific story in Jeremiah, what I want to talk about is the person Jeremiah in general and his book as a whole. So does anybody know the nickname for the prophet Jeremiah? Is anybody brave enough to shout it out if they know it? The weeping prophet, exactly. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. The reason that he's been given that name is because Jeremiah was a very unpopular guy in his time, as most prophets were. But he was a particularly unpopular guy. And this unpopularity brought Jeremiah a lot of hardship. He had a lot of trouble throughout his career as a prophet. And that is because Jeremiah's call, the will, for, the will of God for Jeremiah's life, was to call Israel out for their sin and to say that because of your sin and because of your wickedness, a nation from the north is going to come and is going to uh, take you guys over, is going to conquer you guys. Uh, and so Jeremiah is called to call them out and call them towards repentance. And let me just be clear, Jeremiah is not calling them out for cussing too much. Jeremiah is not calling them out saying, you guys really got to stop dipping and smoking cigarettes. He's calling them out for some really big things like worshiping idols and sacrificing children. 
Yeah, some things that you really should not even have to be told is bad. These are kind of some things that as humans, we were born with the knowledge that you probably should not be worshiping stones and you probably shouldn't sacrifice your children. But yet for some reason, the Israelites, the Jewish people, the people who God had come to himself and given his law, this very detailed, I don't know if y'all have ever read the Torah, but it is very, very detailed what is good and what is bad. It lays it out very explicitly. Even those people were not able to understand the basics of morality. And God, through Jeremiah, was calling these people out, telling them that if they don't turn, if they don't repent, this is going to be bad. Well, not much has changed between now and then. People really don't like having their sins called out. People get very angry when you tell them that they're actively participating in sin, doesn't matter what the sin is. And so because of that, people put Jeremiah in the stocks. They beat him. They ridiculed him. And it was all because he was faithful to proclaim the word of God to the people whom God called him to proclaim that word to. He was put in the stocks and ridiculed because he was faithful to God's will. Now, in the end, Jeremiah was not alone. He was not the only one on this journey. And I want to talk to you about someone who joined him along the way. In chapter 36, we meet a man named Baruch. Baruch is actually the guy who is responsible for writing down the entire book of Jeremiah. That's the reason that we have it in our Bibles today is because Baruch wrote it down for Jeremiah. And so if you guys, if you have your Bibles with you, if you turn there to uh, Jeremiah chapter 36. Now, if you're anything like me, you probably have to go to the table of contents first. It's going to be in the Old Testament section right there towards the middle, right after Isaiah and right after Ezekiel. If you don't have your Bibles with you, it'll be up on the screen too, so we'll be okay there. But if you have your Bibles with you, I'll give you some brownie points. All right, so we go to Jeremiah chapter 36, and we're going to start with verse 1. I'm not going to read the whole chapter today. I'm going to read a lot of it, not the whole thing, uh, but I'll try to stop along the way make sure we're all caught up to speed on what's going on. So verse 1, verse 1 says, In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, we're going to stop there. So that's the verse that you're going to skip over mentally whenever you're reading through it. It's not going to mean anything to you. It's just, you're just going to pass right past it. But let me just tell you that from this verse, historians can actually tell us exactly what year this story happened. It was in 604 BC, so that's 2,600 years ago this was happening. So we can see that this is something that was happening 2,600 years ago, and we can see from some other stuff in this story that this probably happened in the winter. So most people think that this happened in December of 604 BC. It's kind of cool. I don't know. If, I don't know if y'all if y'all like that, but it's kind of cool to know exactly when it was in history. This is a real thing that happened. So let's go on to verse two. See what happens. Uh, so the Lord comes to Jeremiah and says, Take a scroll and write on it all the words which I've spoken to you concerning Israel and concerning Judah. So Israel and Judah, for those of you who don't know, that just means the, the nation of Israel as a whole. They called the northern kingdom Israel, the southern kingdom Judah. So all of Israel, so not only all of Israel, but also concerning all the nations from the day I first spoke to you, from the days of Josiah, even to this day. Perhaps the house of Judah will hear all the calamity which I plan to bring on them in order that every man will turn from his evil way and then I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken to him. 
So what we get in these verses are three things. The first thing is that God comes to Jeremiah and says, I want you to write down my words. These words that I've been giving you for the past few years, I want you to write all of them down. And this gives us one very important lesson, and that's that God knows that his word is everlasting, that his word has lasting effect. God knew that his word was for the specific situation, but at the same time, this word would last into eternity. He knew, God knew in his divine sovereignty that if Baruch wrote these words down, that it would end up in our Bible and we would get to glean wisdom from God, even though it happened 2,600 years ago. This is something, God's word is something so powerful that it can speak into specific situations, but it can also communicate general truths that we still get to learn from today. It's something that people get to mull over and over and over again. And I, I'll tell you what, brothers and sisters, people have been studying the book of Jeremiah for 2,600 years, and it's not run out of stuff to say. So uh, the word of God is powerful. The second thing that we see here is that God's purpose was not condemnation. God does not come to Jeremiah and say, I want you to write these words down because I want to call out people and make sure that they know that they're bad. He's not here to call out sin for the sake of calling out sin. But what we see in verse 23, sorry, in verse 3 is that he, his plan is in order that every man will turn from his evil ways. And then I will forgive their iniquity and forgive their sin. God's plan is never just to condemn. God's purpose, God's goal is always that people would turn, repent, and follow him with their entire hearts and love him completely. And so that's what God wants. That's why God has this word written down. And the third thing that we get is that Jeremiah comes to Baruch and asks him to write it down for him. So uh, I don't know why he did this. Maybe Jeremiah had really bad handwriting. I don't know if y'all have ever seen Hebrew, but it's, it's really, it's kind of hard. Some of those letters look the same. It'd be kind of hard to distinguish between them if you weren't very clear. I don't know if that's exactly what was going on. What I think probably was happening is that Jeremiah was illiterate. He didn't know how to read and write. Now, just to be clear, that doesn't make him dumb. Most people back then did not know how to read or write. You were kind of a special person if you did. So this doesn't make Jeremiah dumb. It just makes him a very special or a very normal person. And so Jeremiah comes to this person named Baruch and asks him to write it down for him. Now, there's actually evidence outside of the book of Jeremiah of this person, Baruch, a scribe named Baruch who lived in this time, in this place. And what we can learn from that is that Baruch was actually, he was actually a, an official scribe. He was a scribe of the state. He wasn't just some random guy. He wasn't uh, Jeremiah's buddy. Jeremiah didn't put an ad out on Craigslist and get some random guy who just happened to know how to read and write to come and do this for him. He found an, an official scribe, and this is somebody who worked for the state, which means that we could kind of say, in a sense, that he was a government employee, that he was somebody very official, someone very high up. And so he comes to Baruch and says, I need you to write down all these words for me. And Baruch says, okay, I'll do that. And so now let's see what happens next. We'll start in verse 5. Jeremiah commanded Baruch, saying, I am restricted. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord, that means the temple. That's what that means there. So the temple of God in Jerusalem. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. So you go and read from the scroll which you have written at my dictation, the words of the Lord to the people of, in the Lord's house on the fast day. On the fast day, there would have been a lot of people there. So he just means... When, there's, when everyone's there, I want you to go read this out loud. And also you shall read to them, uh, read them to all the people of Judah who come from their cities. Perhaps their supplication will come before the Lord and everyone will turn from his evil ways. 
And for great is the anger and wrath of the Lord has pronounced against his people. Baruch, the son of Neriah, did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, reading from the book the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. And so let me recap the whole story here. So right before the story that we've been reading, Jeremiah has proclaimed the word like I told you all about, and he actually was hated so much that he got kicked out of the temple. He's no longer allowed to go into the temple. And God says, I still need this word read, and tells him to write it down. So he comes to Baruch and says, please write these words down for me. And he dictates the whole thing to Baruch, and Baruch writes it down. He's like, okay, cool. I'm a scribe. I did my scribe thing. Now I can go, right? And then Jeremiah says, no, I need you to go read those words in the temple now. So let's think about that. Jeremiah says, hey, I just said all these words, and it got me kicked out of the temple. So now I need you, Baruch. Will you go read them whenever everybody's there, all the people? And I want you to read in front of all of them. And I think that you all can probably feel the weight of that a little bit, but a lot of the weight of these consequences are lost on us as 21st century Christians. So let me talk to you for a second about the importance of the real weight of the temple in that time. See, we as Christians take it for, take it for granted that uh, we are walking temples of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul calls us in 1 Corinthians, that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are houses of God. That if you have believed in Jesus and the Holy Spirit has come into you and dwells inside of you and everywhere that you go, God is with you. The presence of God is everywhere you go. Well, that was not the case for people like Baruch and Jeremiah in this time. There was one place where the presence of God was. There was only one place and that was the temple. The other thing that gets lost on us is the fact that there were not multiple temples. See, if I get kicked out of my church in Houston, I can go down the street to another church and worship with them. They probably don't know my name, and they definitely don't know why I got kicked out of my church or that I got kicked out of a church. I can just go down the street. Well, these guys could not just go down the street to a different church. They couldn't even go down the, to a different city and go to a different temple. It's not like they had a temple set up in every place, and that's where God's presence was in that city. There was one temple in the entire world, and that's where the presence of God was. And those are the stakes. This is not getting kicked out of church that we're talking about. This is getting kicked out of the presence of God. You are no, and these are people who are faithful to God. They're only doing these things because they're faithful to do what God calls them to do. And they are risking getting kicked out of the only place that they can go to really worship and be in the presence of God. And so Baruch hears this. He counts the cost. And he is faithful to do exactly what it is, what it is that Jeremiah has told him to do, what exactly it is that God is calling him to do through the person of Jeremiah. So I'm going to skip a little bit. Uh, Baruch reads the scroll out loud. There's a guy named Micaiah who hears Baruch and is essentially like, hey, man, you really got to come read this out loud to all my buddies. Baruch says, okay, I'm going to do that. So Micaiah gathers all of his friends around. Just so happens that they're all temple officials. So, you know, the people who are in charge of whether or not he gets kicked out of the temple. And Baruch's like, all right, I guess I'll start this. And so he starts reading out loud to him. And if we go to verse 16, we can see that it says, When they heard all these words, they turned in fear to one another and said to Baruch, We will surely report all of these words to the king. They were rent. Their hearts were rent at this message. They had heard. They had accepted this message that God had given to them, and they wanted to repent. They knew that what they would, had done was bad, and they knew that this message was strong enough that it needed to be given to the king. 
It couldn't just stay here. It had to be given to the king so that the king could proclaim it to the nation and that everyone could turn. And so uh, they, they take the message and they tell Baruch. So if we go to verse 19 there, it says that the officials then said to Baruch, go hide yourself, you and Jeremiah, and do not let anyone know where you are. See, they knew that this message was powerful enough that it had to go to the king. But they also were wise enough to know that whoever was the messenger is probably going to be in a lot of trouble. So Jeremiah and Baruch go and hide. They take the scroll and they take it to the king. And then there's a guy named Jehudi. Just a quick side. I think that Jehudi is a great cat name. Everybody in my other church really disagreed with me. But if one of y'all name your cat Jehudi, make sure you give me some credit on that. Uh, Jehudi. So this guy named Jehudi. He's, he went to the king and he started to read it out loud to him. And let's look at verse 23. When Jehudi had read three or four columns, the king cut it with a scribe's knife and threw it into the fire that was in the brazier. And until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the brazier. So the brazier is this pot that's got fire inside of it. And just, just imagine it. As, as Jehudi is reading this word that he's been convicted by, he knows it's from God. He knows that it's important. He's reading it out loud. And after he gets through a couple of pages, the, the king comes in with a knife and cuts it up and throws it into the fire until the entire scroll is gone. The king heard the message and was angry. He was not repentant. He did not accept it. He knew that this was bad for him. He did not want to be called out. And so the king calls for the, uh, the rest of Jeremiah and of Baruch. But in, in verse 26, it says that the Lord hid them. The Lord was faithful to, to protect uh, Jeremiah and Baruch. And so now you might be asking, okay, well, if they wrote it down once and the king burned the whole thing, how did we get it in the Bible, huh? Uh, well, at the very end, it's, it tells us the story of Jeremiah and Baruch hearing that their scroll had been burned up, and they went and got some more scroll and some more ink. Another aside, we really take it for granted that things like paper and pens are just like all over the place. That stuff was expensive. That stuff was not commonplace. So they, they're making more sacrifices. They're risking their lives again. And they write it all down so that it can be translated to us. Now, I want you all to look at Baruch here. Baruch has three opportunities to deny the will of God for his life and to say no. Whenever Jeremiah first comes to him, whenever Jeremiah tells him to go into the temple and read it, and whenever he's been asked to rewrite everything again, Jeremiah gets three, or Baruch gets three opportunities to deny this, to say, Jeremiah, I'm sorry, this is your thing, you do that, i got to wash my hands of this. But Jeremiah does not, uh, he does not turn back. He does not forsake God's will for his life. Jeremiah counted the cost, and he knew that delivering the word of God to the people of God was so much more important than his own personal safety. And so now, from the story, what I want to do is pull out three lessons from Baruch on our God-given role. So how does this teach us about what we are doing in this world? And our first lesson is that everyone has a role, so stick to it. Everyone has a role, so stick to it. So this comes in two parts, so I'm going to break it down into two parts. That first part, everyone's got a role. Every single person who is filled with the Holy Spirit is important in the kingdom of God. Every single person who has the Holy Spirit inside of them, every single person who has put their faith in Jesus has a role. They've been given gifts and talents by the Spirit of God to do very important things in the kingdom of God. No person with the Spirit of God could ever be called useless. 
No person with the Spirit of God, it could ever be said of them that they don't matter. It does not matter. You may have been called useless your entire life, and it does not matter. In the kingdom of God, that is a lie. And whenever I say that you are useful, whenever I say that you matter, whenever I say that your role is important, I'm not just saying, yeah, we want you to come along, sure. Or, uh, I guess an extra set of hands won't, ma- won't, won't hurt anything. Or, uh, okay, I guess we can like, try to find some paperwork for you to do. What I'm saying is that every single person in the will of God has an important role that cannot be done without you actively participating in it. Without you actively doing that thing, there will be a puzzle piece shaped hole in our body. In this body, there will be a hole with every person who is not actively participating in their role. God has a very specific will for your life and a very specific role for you in this body, in the body of Christ. Now, for some of you in here, that may draw up a lot of anxiety. That may make you very nervous. It may make you think, oh my gosh, there's, God's got a will for my life, and oh, I'm looking all around for it, and I can't see what it is. What if I miss out on it? What if I don't find it? Or what if I pursue the wrong thing, and that wasn't actually God's will for my life? See, that anxiety comes from our culture, because our culture has taken this very biblical truth, the will of God, and has twisted it just a little bit. Our culture is really good at doing that. Twisted it just a little bit, and they've renamed it destiny. See, in our culture, we are looking around for our destiny, and our destiny is something that we are groping for, and we are searching for, and oh my gosh, you might not find it, and it's your responsibility to find out what your destiny is. Our culture tells us that it is your responsibility to find out what you were destined to do. But the will of God is not your responsibility. It is not your responsibility to find out what the will of God is for your life. That is God's responsibility. God is faithful to come to you and show you what it is that you have to do, what it is that he has called you to do, what your role is in this body. It is not your job. Your job is only to be faithful to that call. God will make it apparent to you what your role is in this life. And so everyone's got a role. That's our first part. The second part of it is, stick to, is to stick to it, is to stay in your lane. See, Jeremiah was a prophet and Baruch was a scribe. They both had very particular roles. They both had very particular talents. And they had to work together because without the two of them working together, the book of Jeremiah never gets to us. The book of Jeremiah never gets written down. Jeremiah was really good at doing the prophet thing. Baruch was really good at doing the scribe thing. But they were not good at doing each other's thing. See, if Jeremiah had said, you know what, I'm really spiritual, I'm really close with God, I bet that I can just write this down for myself. God told me to write it down, so I can just write this down for myself. It would have been scribble or something like that. It wouldn't have made sense, and we would never have gotten the book of Jeremiah. Now, on the other hand, if Jeremiah had come to Baruch and Baruch had said, you know what, I'm a scribe, and I think I can hear from God. He was probably a faithful Jew. He's like, I bet I can hear from God. You know what? Jeremiah, that's fine. I'm going to write down my home book. If Baruch had done that, we never would have gotten the book of Jeremiah. It does not matter how smart you are. Baruch could have looked down on Jeremiah and said, you're less intelligent than me. I don't need you. It does not matter how many letters you have behind your name. And at the same time, it does not matter how spiritual you think you are or how good you are in front of crowds. See, Jeremiah could have looked down on Baruch and said, I'm really close to God. I don't need some brainiac like you to help me communicate his word. They could have easily looked down on each other and thought they were better than one another, but they stuck to their lane. 
They stuck to their role and they worked together. And because they worked together, we have the book of Jeremiah. We have the book of Jeremiah right here that we get to learn from today. So that's our first lesson, is that everyone has a role, for, so stick to it. Our second lesson today is that sometimes you might get your role from somebody else. See, let's look at Baruch. Baruch did not get the word of God for himself. God did not come to Baruch and say, go find Jeremiah and write down his, his prophecies. No, Jeremiah, that God came to Jeremiah and called him to find a scribe, called him to write it down. And Jeremiah was the one who delivered the word of God to Baruch. Uh, do, but does that make this word any less for Baruch? Does that make the will of God any less for Baruch? Does that make it Jeremiah's will just because it was Jeremiah who came to Baruch? No, it does not. It absolutely does not. Just because God used somebody else in Baruch's life to communicate his will doesn't mean that this was any less of God's will, a divine, holy encounter for Baruch. See, so many people are so prideful that they want to find out what it is they're supposed to do all on their own. They think that they can do it, and they think that they are the only ones who can hear God speaking what it is that they're supposed to be doing. Now, see, this happens in all sorts of situations, but I feel like this happens all the time in marriages, all the time, where there's one partner or another who thinks that they are just way better at hearing the will of God than the other partner. And I just want you guys to not be so prideful as to think that maybe... Just maybe that it's possible in this one situation that your spouse can actually hear the word of God a little bit better than you can right now. That it's actually possible that this is a place where you are weak and you need that space for your partner to be strong. This happens with me and Abigail all the time where Abigail has way better clarity in particular areas of our life as far as the will of God goes. And I would be a fool if I did not trust her to hear the will of God equally as much as I trust myself because neither of us are God. Neither of us are perfect. And so I need her. I trust her to hear the voice of God as much as I trust myself. At the same time, I feel like this happens with church volunteering or church service. People all the time want to go figure out what it is that they're supposed to be doing to, serving, to serve the church. And they're all, all around. They're, they're looking around. They're, they're, they're looking behind every single, uh, looking under every rock to try to figure out what, where it is that they're supposed to be serving. Whenever all along the way there are people coming to them saying, hey, we need help setting up chairs. Will you help us out? Or, hey, we really need help in the nursery. Will you help us out? Or uh, we, we have some diapers that we need to provide uh, for a crisis pregnancy center. Will you help us provide that? Right? We have things like that. People come to us all the time, but we're always grasping like, oh, what's the will of God for my life? Well, maybe it's, maybe it's to help out your brother or sister who's in need. Maybe it doesn't look that spiritual. Maybe it doesn't look that cool. Maybe it doesn't seem like exactly what you're gifted at. Whatever. What this is all about is about serving the church, serving God, and participating in what it is that God has called you to do. And so our second lesson there is that sometimes our role might come from somebody else. And our final lesson today, this is where we're going to land, is that God can transform your role. God can transform your role. And what I mean by that is a lot of you are probably already actively participating in what it is that God has called you to do. Maybe not all of you. Maybe not all of you. But I bet a lot of you are already actively participating in what it is that God is calling you to do. And what I mean by that is whatever your job is, whatever your hobby is, whatever it is that you're doing, I bet, I bet that God has led you to that job or that hobby for a very particular reason. Take Baruch, for example. Baruch was a scribe. He'd been a scribe for a long time. He was good at it. He'd been doing his thing as a faithful Jew who was good at being a scribe. 
He was apparently well-known enough for somebody to come to him and ask him for help. But Baruch, one day, had Jeremiah come to him, and all of a sudden, God takes his role as a scribe and turns it from something mundane, something normal, something everyday, and creates it into, recreates it into something divine. Now, all of a sudden, it's not just that Baruch is a scribe, but Baruch is actually writing down the word of God for his people. I mean, think about I want y'all to just take a second to feel how big that would be, to just imagine that you've been a scribe for a long time. You've been trained to do this. You're maybe in an upper echelon of, of intelligence in your community. You've been doing this for a long time, and you're taking down court cases or writing down the king's edicts or whatever else it is that he was writing down. And then one day, all of a sudden, you are writing the word of God. You are getting to write down something that people will read for the next 2,600 years. You're writing down something that people will get to read and glean wisdom from for a long time. Just imagine how that would feel. And I want to tell you guys today that God can do that exact same thing for whatever it is that you're doing. It doesn't matter if you're an accountant or a teacher or in the medical field or whatever else it is that you do. God can use whatever it is that you're doing for the kingdom of God. I mean, again, I don't want to hit on this too much, but think about like being a scribe does not look particularly spiritual. It does not, like you might ask, like, oh, what is it that I could do that possibly could help the kingdom of God? Well, you could write down scripture for Jeremiah. <laughs> how about that? How does that sound? Uh, and so the question then is, how can you take your role, whatever it is that you're doing, how can you take your role and use it for the kingdom of God? How can your role go from mundane to divine? Now, I'm just going to guess, I'm going to imagine that nobody in here is going to be writing any more scripture. If you are, you should probably go share that with somebody. You know, take my advice from the last point, bounce, a, bounce those ideas off someone because uh, there might be a problem there. But what is it about your role that can become divine? Um, again, like I said, maybe you're an accountant, and you can use your knowledge to help others find financial security, right? You can use your talents to find financial security, maybe even for people who can't pay you to do that. Uh, maybe you're in the medical field, and you can start going to other countries to offer services to people who can't afford those services. Or maybe, maybe you're a stay-at-home parent, and things like play dates and disciplining your children and maintaining a clean home, all those things get transformed into everyday opportunities to serve and to evangelize. So now all of a sudden your play date is not just about giving my kids something to do, but it's actually about speaking into the lives of the parents of these other children. Now all of a sudden cleaning the house is not just about making sure the house is clean, but it's about creating an environment of peace for the rest of my family so that whenever they come home, they can rest. All of these things, God can take whatever it is that you do and turn it into something divine. Sometimes it's not even the actions that changes. Sometimes it's just what you're thinking. Sometimes it's just what you're thinking. It's all about intentionality. I want to end with a really powerful story of when this happened to somebody. It didn't happen to me. It happened to somebody very close to a couple people in this room. His name's Philip Ade. Um, he, uh, that, that's Abigail's uh, uncle and Shannon's brother. Um, so if Uncle Phil. Uncle Phil is a dentist. He grew up in a godly household, going to church. Uh, he was always a great guy, right? Always a great person. Um, and uh, he has some stories of whenever he first got out of school, of him and his wife kind of like struggling to make ends meet, you know, just like everybody else does. But after he gets a little bit more established, uh, he gets a little bit more comfortable. All of a sudden, God comes to him and says, I want you to take your role as a dentist and use it for the kingdom of God. I want you to take your role and be a dentist for the kingdom. And so now Uncle Phil goes to countries, other countries, several times a year and goes to people who've probably never seen a dentist in their life 
Or maybe if they have, they definitely can't afford to go again. These are people who cannot get these sorts of services on a regular, everyday basis. And he goes there and offers those things to those people. On top of that, in his hometown, he and a few other local dentists set up shop once a year downtown. And whoever comes, homeless people, regular people off the street, whoever it is comes, they get free dental service one day a year, all day long. They see whoever for whatever they need. Now, what I want to point out to you guys is that God did not come to Uncle Phil and say, I need you to stop being a dentist and go be a missionary. That was not how God made, gave Uncle Phil a divine role. What he did was he said, I want you to be a dentist like you are. I want you to be a dentist, but be a dentist for the kingdom of God. Be a dentist who makes an impact in this world. And so Uncle Phil was faithful to that call. God can transform anybody's role. And it's all about looking to, looking to see how what you already do can be used to serve the kingdom of God in big and small ways. And so for a lot of you guys, that might be a new thought or it might be an old thought that you've struggled with for a long time. Or it could be somewhere in between. But right now I want to take some time to just pray that the Holy Spirit would do two things for every single person in this room. One, that he would make it known to us what, the, what our role is. That he would make it known to us what our role is in this world, in this church, in this community, in the kingdom of God. What is our role? What is our purpose? And the second thing that I want to pray for is that the Holy Spirit would give us the power and the courage to do that. Because these things are steps of faith. Look at Baruch. Baruch, it would have been so much easier for Baruch to just continue being a scribe for the state. That would have been so much less trouble, so much less dangerous. But I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would give you all the courage and the strength to be like Baruch and understand that it's worth the cost to follow the will of God. So if you all would pray with me. Um, Holy Spirit, we want, to, we want to first thank you that you dwell inside of us. Um, I want to take a second to just say uh, that we, we are so thankful that unlike Baruch and Jeremiah, we get to be temples ourselves and we can commune with you everywhere that we go. Holy Spirit, we ask you to fill us and to speak to us, to fill us and to speak to us. And specifically, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would show us what it is that we have been designed to do, what exactly it is that our Father in heaven has designed us to do. Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to see the places where we've been blind, where maybe there's a hole that we have been called to fill that we just have not filled. And God, that you would then give us the strength to fill that hole. You would give us the strength to step out and be bold and do exactly what it is that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.